Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time. What time? High time to say, if you've got time to give this time your time, then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time. On this time. Monkey tennis, please, please. Cook your eggs. Be safe. Be egg safe. Monkey tennis? Well, have a glass of water, please. It forced me to say he has gone. Monkey tennis? I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay for dinner, yeah? Monkey tennis? I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shaved boy in a wig. Monkey tennis? There is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things... To all men. To all women. And everything in between. Monkey tennis? There's a subtle cock up there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. We're here with episode 116. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. The bang, oof, smack, and twat of men thumping each other. Nick Alder. My audience are more concerned about hand dryers, speed bumps, and bigger fines for dog dirt. And Tom Stab. She's been destroyed. The, the, the dog, <laughs> not Claire Balding. <laughs> So, uh, yes, welcome as we continue our trawl through This Time Series 2, which is obviously going out on BBC One right before we put our podcast episodes out each week. Um, before we get into the crux of this episode, let's talk a little bit about some of the Alan-adjacent uh, promo and news and tits bits that have uh, cropped up recently. So, uh, what do we have? 
Well, I guess it's less of a, a this week in Allen this time round and a bit of a Partridge promo roundup. Um, I enjoyed seeing that Susanna Fielding's been on quite a few bits and pieces over the last few weeks. So uh, BBC Breakfast and Sunday Brunch. Uh, it made me think, is Coogan just wheeling her out to do all the heavy lifting? He can't be asked to do the interviews anymore. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. Also, we haven't yet had a chance to talk about the radio advert that was doing the rounds just before the new series started. So it might be worth just giving a quick moment to that as well. Hello, I'm Alan Partridge. In Group B are all the sad, stupid people who've never heard of me. In Group A are all the cool, clever people who love me. If you want to go from B to A, tune into This Time with Alan Partridge on BBC One. If you're already in Group A, this does not apply to you. This Time with Alan Partridge returns Friday night at 9.30 on BBC One and iPlayer. I feel like I must be in um, Group A off the back of my Mastermind win, and you guys are probably in Group B. So, guys, come and join me in Group A. I like that uh, it's it's worded so that you're going from B to A, when obviously <laughs> yeah. a, to, a to B would have made a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, that's Alan. So now that we're you know a couple of weeks into the series, we thought we thought it might be fun to uh, visit some of the predictor partridges that you, our listeners, sent in to us on our socials. So uh, I'll kick things off. I've got a couple which were submitted on Facebook, and James Coughlin or Coughlin. I'm sorry, I you've written in before, and I don't know how to pronounce your name. If you could confirm it on one of our social media channels, that'd be great, James. Cheers. Um, and he says, my predictor partridge. They are faithful to the APU and tie the different works together. So I wonder if they will have any reference to uh, themes dropped in from the Oast House. For example, maybe Alan's newfound love of birds, a mention of meeting his grandchildren, or later life dating, uh, or the brush with high noon, that sort of thing. Uh, And Matt McClellan says, Michael to make an appearance in a phone-in segment about missing people. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I've been manning um, Twitter uh, and I've been um, rifling through your comments and a couple that stood out. Um, first from PD, who says, Alan does a feature on the benefits of colonic irrigation. Um, I'm sure Pete would have loved to give it us more detail, but sadly cut short by um, the Twitter character count. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, next we had a, a message in from Richard L. Gill, who says, Builder John from I'm Alan Partridge Series 2 returns and is now a celebrity DIY personality. I'd like to see it, but I'm worried it's not going to happen. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good idea, that is actually. Think. Brilliant. That yeah. is a good idea. It, 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 it is good, though. So, yeah. Have we been spoiled by having Joe Beasley and Cheeky Monkey back? Uh, I feel yeah. like that would be True. too much, wouldn't it? True. T- it's Big too Pete. much. Too much. <laughs> Save it for the third series. Um, I've got a couple of messages we've had on uh, the Monkey Tennis Hotline as well, a couple of WhatsApp messages. So, here we go. Strap in. Hey, this is Stephen Fennessy from London. Uh, my predictor partridge is that Simon will get engaged to Lucy. Ooh. And uh, just one more. Hello, it's Darren from Cardiff, and I think Alan and Lynn will have a falling out off air, which will lead to Alan being flustered on air. Bye. Oh, Very cheery I, chappy there. I do like that. It's been a while since Alan and Lynn had a sort of a, a visible falling out, isn't it? Alpha Papa, I guess, is, is the biggest bust up so far. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of when they fall out. I like it when they come together and work together as a team. But maybe we've, <laughs> maybe we've been seeing a bit too much of that and something is bubbling underneath. I was, I was going to say, I do feel like with in the this time world, Alan and Lynn are very much a united front quite often. They, they don't really seem to fall out. That Lynn is often kind of backing his corner. Um, 
Also, I was going to say, I think one of the ones you read out there, Tom, one of the predictions about seeing something from the Oast House coming into this time. I do think there is a bit of that in this episode, actually, which uh, we can come to at the end. Uh, so let's see whether anybody else has spotted that or not. But that's a bit of a uh, bit of a cliffhanger. Stay something tuned. for the end of the episode to discuss. <laughs> so stick around. You don't want to miss it. I'm excited and I'm hosting the thing. Uh, <laughs> if you've got predictor partridges that you want to uh, drop us a note about, or in fact, if you've got any sort of thoughts or, or queries or comments about the series this time so far, uh, you can email us at thepartridgepod at gmail.com or on facebook.com slash thepartridgepod, Twitter at thepartridgepod, Instagram at monkeytennispod. Uh, you can leave a voice note at, like the ones you've just heard on 07923 the Monkey Tennis Hotline, or if you want to shout us the price of a cup of coffee or an equivalent donation, it's ko-fi.com slash monkeytennis. So, into the meat of episode three, series two of this time with Alan Partridge. I'm going to say at the top of this, this is my favourite episode of the series so far. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I feel like I've got more notes on this than anything we've covered yet. Adam, can I just shock you? This is my least favourite so far. Ooh, we oh, we love this. Nick, let's get let's get it in right from the beginning. Let's <laughs> Wait, go, let's fight, go. Fight, fight. Let's go, Nick, where do you stand? It's 1-1 oh, uh, at the He hasn't seen it. Yeah, take each day as it comes and just, I'll see what happens. I'll see what happens. So when are you going to watch it? Next week? <laughs> He'll do it on the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. Nick, this news just there. in. It's the night. It's happening. What are you saying? I'm saying, uh, I'm saying it's good. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't, I didn't love it to the level that Adam liked it. I certainly didn't dislike it uh, to the level that you seem to um, be saying. So for me, uh, I'm just going to sit somewhere in the middle, the sensible middle. Do you want to take that splinter out your ass whilst you're at it? <laughs> uh, Tom Stab, any thoughts before we crack on? I think this is an episode that has some real highs. I, although not all of it hilarious i do think a lot of it is very well done and true to the a true to the sort of this time universe but um or mini universe within the actual alan partridge universe but i uh i I really really like it yeah i'm surprised it's your least favorite tom but what i would say to that point is that all three episodes have been very very solid well that that's to clarify i'm saying it's my least favorite of this series so far so make it that way you will but i'm sure we i can give you a bit more depth perhaps at the end when we wrap up so uh, let's kick off as Alan does with a poem about the BBC, uh, which opens. Oh no! In fact, I think it's titled "Old BBC, My BBC," which mm-hmm. presumably is supposed to sound lofty, but is clearly taken from "Old Christmas Tree, My Christmas Tree." How lovely are your branches? <laughs> which is not perhaps not as literary as as we we might expect. I was thinking, "Oh, Captain, My Captain." Oh, it could be that too. Actually, I just thought because of the syllables "BBC Christmas right. Tree." yeah but. yeah i mean i think it's maybe a bit of both because yeah the christmas tree thing is what rhymes but yeah yeah um and we've had examples of this before haven't we alan writing poems that you know on the face of it they use a lot of devices that you recognize from poems but they are less than the sum of their parts for example he goes on to try and rhyme sky with eyes um when you yeah. know he could just as easily have said skies and then it would have worked um and there's also just a little glimmer as he says the word eyes as he looks at the camera, that he knows it doesn't work, but he's, sort of <laughs> hoping, he's hoping he can get it past us. I, I thought about this section. Is this a nice little opportunity here for Coogan to essentially put together some prose to show genuine appreciation for the BBC? So this is perhaps a rare moment of Coogan, yes. Alan, yes. 
I I agree, and I I I feel like in this episode it's the most pronounced. But I do also think there's there's little sort of subtle jabs at kind of society and where things are in general that mm. are kind of yeah. punctuated throughout the the whole series. So I mean, I think of things like where they talk about you know the thought police police being contained to like you know the Guardian comment um, pages and things like that. This is probably the most overt, but I do think it's another example of like commentary about where things are at in society um, being kind of delivered. <laughs> through the optics of Alan or whoever the character might be. Um, I think there are probably only a few lines in this where it isn't Coogan, yes, Alan, yes, and they perhaps diverge. For example, <laughs> the line, I really love this, my dad watched The Beeb just as my mum did, despite our concerns about, oh, it is funded. <laughs> but that was quite <laughs> yeah. nice. Um, and uh, also, uh, call the midwife, homes under the hammer for those what don't get grammar. I also enjoyed that yeah. as well. Yeah, I like the way that's that he that the way he's dividing the high class and the educated and the low class and the uneducated. High class is Wolfhall, Panorama, Cerebral Telly and Prestige Drama. But yeah, as you say, the lower classes are watching Call the Midwife and Homes Under the Hammer. Um, there's a nice bit where it kind of harks back to um, Alan of Yore and how he's sort of developed when he's talking about um, Pan's people, uh, the dancers that mm. used to appear on, on Top of the Pops when they didn't have the bands on, uh, who we know back in the day he was one of the people who leered over them. And uh, But now mm. it's just harmless fun. <laughs> it could have been your daughter, he says, in a yeah. very, very Matt Berry, Toast of London style pronunciation, I thought. Um, I did quickly look up Pan's people. They are now in their 70s. One of them's dead. Um, and that's another quite bold kind of yew tree dig from the uh, writing team here they're, they're really not holding back on uh, the more slightly taboo subjects which i think which i just think is quite bold when we know that this is 9 30 on a friday on bbc one uh, you know you could get away with that a bit more if you were 10 30 on bbc two uh, so my kind of question off the off the back of this and, and i could be sort of you know overthinking it slightly but is this a kind of like you know an attempt to kind of like partially defend the BBC, you know, in, in 2021 and kind of saying, look, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but it's worth saving or is that overthinking it? Or I was curious as to what your take was on sort of the thinking from the writers behind what this was trying to, you know, deliver upon. Well, I, I, but I think there's a bit of that because I think you're right. I think they are trying to address kind of a few current societal issues through the medium of comedy uh, much in the vein that uh, Coogan has said in a few interviews, using Alan as essentially a Trojan horse to get his viewpoints through. So yeah, I think there definitely is is a read of that. And in particular, because with this uh, poem, uh, the kind of opening is about a nation reflected in the BBC, I even found there was a news article from March 2020 where the headline was, um, the BBC must reflect the nation, says new culture secretary Oliver Dowden. So I think it's a very explicit comment on that and the kind of, I guess, for want of a best phrase, the kind of culture war that a lot of BBC comedy is getting dragged into at the moment as well. So it's a bit of a tangent, but... Um it reminds me of something that Graham Norton's been reported as saying in the news recently where he says he wishes the BBC would defend itself more robustly uh, and basically makes the points that commercial rivals are only as good as they are because they've had to match the BBC standards. If you go and see terrestrial TV when you're abroad, it's shockingly bad. Um, and yeah, basically just saying that he thinks that in the future we might look back on the BBC if it gets kind of defunded or whatever and think, why did we? Why were we so easily swayed to give up something so good? I mean, I'm sure... Partly it's because they have employed him for nine and 20 years <laughs> yeah. as well. But I think he's got a point, And I think Alan's also making a similar point here. I mean, I just want to talk about Alan's brilliant facial expressions, to be honest. 
<laughs> when when it when it goes for when it goes when yeah. it gets split screen, into yeah. full screen and uh when he's saying at the BBC um <laughs> I, I I think we should get a little uh, a little photo of that uh high res screenshot of all the different Alan faces because they're all brilliant. Um there's another one that I really love right at the end of the, the poem where he ends on the phrase flight of a bird and you see him sort of trying to imagine seeing a bird but he doesn't quite commit to it, and then he looks back at the camera, and then we cut to the credits. Like he's he's ruined he's ruined the moment. Sort of <laughs> wonder if he was thinking of Morris. Oh, lovely oh. Morris. <laughs> uh, do we? Has anyone got Jenny's rhyme? I feel like you know we have the opening credits, and then we we come into Alan and Jenny, and doesn't doesn't Jenny give a rhyme of her own? Which I'm is not a fan of her rhyme. rhyme. Yeah, her, her, her <laughs> rhyme is toilet. But to be fair, she had to do it live, whereas he's had as many chances as he likes. <laughs> I've only written down the end of it, which is, although you may not like my rhyme, we hope that you enjoy this time. Yeah. I it's entry-level stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's my name. My name's Jen. His name's Alan. And whilst you may not like my rhyme, we hope you enjoy this time. <laughs> it's cats out on the map, except it doesn't <laughs> rhyme. But I, I did think the, the bit of script after this was great when she's saying, oh, Alan, my poem wasn't as good as yours. He's like, well, they were different. <laughs> different, different. <laughs> Um, so anyone got the notes on why Alan was able to do um, that bit of filming uh, to to do his uh, bit of poetry? I have, but as it's dog related, I figured you would probably want to talk about it first. Yeah, uh, I guess so. Um, so basically, Alan was going to do an expose on corruption at Crufts um, called Bent Breeders, which, by the way, would absolutely watch. <laughs> I, I've, got those ex- I've got those exact <laughs> words in my notes. <laughs> it all sounds, sounds quite line of duty, doesn't it? Bent Breeders. <laughs> Nick cares about one thing and one thing only and that's bed breeders <laughs> yeah. uh, but unfortunately a, mother of dog but unfortunately a schnauzer bitch went berserk uh, so he wasn't able to do that so it was left for the camera crew um, and this bit was brilliant where he says to Jenny he said hey guys mind if I try something real quick which reminded me of I don't know if anyone had this where he was doing the John Baskell yes, yes. Uh, he was doing the John Baskell kind of ode and then it's that kind mm. of faux impromptu oh I just had this like swirling around in my mind don't mind me if I just go and uh, improv on you which obviously this has been meticulously planned um, but yeah. delivered through the, the same know, as the John Baskell thing because we know he's been yeah. practicing going you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, another bit that really struck me in this scene and to be honest I'm sure this has been noticeable in the previous episodes but it really really struck me in this opening sequence, quite how closely Alan and Jenny are sat together on the sofa. Like, Alan's almost sitting on her lap. It's insane. Yeah, I did wonder that. It's like, uh, it, I, I know, I've noticed it in every episode so far, and it's got... The, uh, pff, there's no real reason for it. It just looks uncomfortable. Whether that is the point, whether that is why they want to do it, I don't know. It's to, it's well, to I, create yeah. this atmosphere of tension and make it feel a little bit awkward. I don't know. It just does feel a bit odd. Yeah, I feel like part of the joke is it's just him very much invading her personal space, yeah. and particularly in series one, where there was a, it was a bit potentially lecherous, a bit of a will they, won't they type vibe to it. But I think particularly in an era of COVID, it just looks absolutely mad. Um, something that struck me about the opening poem as well was that across this series so far, I feel like we're really getting the best of both worlds. Not only are we getting 
sort of know me knowing you style Alan panicking live on air we're getting a lot more I'm Alan Partridge style behind the scenes and then we're also getting not just um, off the cuff Alan like you'd get in Mid Morning Matters where he's coming up with stuff on the spot live but also those kind of pre-recorded scissor aisle welcome to the places of my life segments where the jokes are in his sort of editorial choices in the production and things like the BBC poem so it's kind of for the first time we're getting all those different elements of mm. TV Alan in one show and I think that's why I'm so far enjoying this series even more than the first one uh, I really enjoyed as well where we find out that um, Alan uh, watched and enjoyed Hamilton although he was disappointed that it wasn't a <laughs> Lewis a story about Lewis Hamilton <laughs> I wondered if they'd chosen those references as well, because you've heard the writers speaking a bit about not wanting the show to date. And so Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton, they feel like they're safe bets. Those are those are pop culture references that are going to be around for a couple of decades at least. Uh, I'd quite like to see Hamilton, Allen, which is an Alan Partridge, <laughs> Hamilton mashup, mix up. <laughs> have, you mix up. Up, have you just come up with that? Yeah. God, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they call it. Not a winning formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be be about how he almost became president of current affairs at the BBC. (laughs) Yeah. I am not throwing away my shot. Oh, he absolutely has many, many times over and over and over again. I'm always happy to talk about Hamilton. I've seen it twice and the soundtrack has been in my Spotify most listened to for two years in a row. Uh, I've still not seen it despite having a Disney Plus subscription. It's very good. Um, But I I think that reflects more poorly on me than anyone else so yeah absolutely does yeah yeah it really does but um yeah i i quite like i'm sure we could flesh out the idea of partridge the musical a bit further uh that's probably something that uh our listeners might like to get involved with any ideas send them in there could be an argument to say that an idea from a previous episode about the uh the 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 partridge christmas carol when you Mm -hmm. turn that into Mm. a musical much like a muppet's christmas carol that could work Yes. Love it. Would watch. Um, so on the show, they've been trying to help a man called Andrew Hannon, who's wheelchair bound and uh, might have had to move house due to kind of repairs needed on his property. Um, and so they've managed to gather a gaggle of workmen, labourers and specialists, or as Alan puts it, anyone that has two sugars in their tea um, <laughs> to help <laughs> to help Andrew uh, yeah, sort his house out and not have to move. Um, and then he's about to go over to the Digiwall to, to, to get Simon to tell us more. <clears throat> but I presume everybody noticed the the, the audible struggle he had as he tried to get up on the word more yeah. um yeah he's not as young as he used to be i i wondered if this in any way related to um the pills that he said he was taking when he said he has his coffee uh, and porridge and pills each morning i wonder if there's some kind of treatment that he's now having to receive because mm. yeah we we do see him suffering with his knees and these kind of like pained expressions <laughs> we, from time to time so. we hear him suffering with his knees yeah. more to the point yeah yeah exactly um so it's getting old i think the digi wall is slightly closer in this series but crucially still far enough to be awkward <laughs> don't worry adam I, i've got the stats it it's 13 steps and nine seconds for alan to get to the digi wall in this episode lovely so that is a little bit quicker than it has been so far this series by one step and one second i noticed as well that his journey to the digi wall in this series i'm not sure if this is true the first time around means that he has to get off the sofa go up one step then down a step and then continue mm. walking i don't think that he had that obstacle course in the first series I don't think the step was there, but I mean, obviously, as we know, that it's very deliberate that they've made it 
awkward for him to get to. And I think, yeah, they've literally put obstructions in the way to make it even more difficult this time around. <laughs> I did really enjoy, um, they're talking about Spaghetti Junction. Uh, and Alan says the best, the best birthday present he bought himself for his 40th um, was a helicopter ride over Spaghetti Junction. And I thought what was really kind of key in that sentence was that he bought himself no, no one no one's bought him that birthday present for his 40th he's bought himself a trip on a helicopter ride over spaghetti yeah, junction yeah. I, I mean he said it's one of the best presents it like looking at spaghetti junction from the air it just looks horrific <laughs> and depressing and it's like yeah. awful and i'd really do like alan's line about where he says it's quite humbling isn't it the length that those engineers went to just so ordinary road users men and women that they would never meet could avoid going into birmingham <laughs> <laughs> i wondered as well i couldn't quite um work this out on the timeline what point in his career he was at around his 40th birthday i wondered because if he if, if he was at the uh, know me knowing you i'm an partridge stage that's quite a small dent in the budget but if he's in the on the hour years this must have cost a fortune compared to what he was getting as like a part-time sports reporter good question i think without having it in front of me isn't he 47 when we're doing when it's i'm alan partridge series two right you see you're because lynn says you're nearly 50 aren't you so mm. were you about to yeah. say i'm nearly 50 <laughs> so he's obviously yeah, in so his it's... late 40s then so if it, it's before i'm alan partridge so it must be the knowing me knowing you years, that would make roughly. sense i mean that's where he could afford a, a helicopter <clears throat> ride you would think the nollicopter <laughs> his version no, of the nollicopter if he's 47 in i'm alan partridge series two then it would be post knowing me knowing you because he's shot a man on air and punched Tony Hares in the face with a with a bird. So, but I wonder whether it's in the uh, the, the Dundee chocolate addiction breakdown years or not. Maybe, yeah. Well, yeah, if he's got any money left from Toblerone, it's gone on this helicopter ride. Um, I enjoyed there was a, a reaction to Simon getting something right. His his reaction of relief and encouragement is really good. When Simon makes the joke and he's like, funny, a funny thing to say. Like, it could, also, it Simon's well. kind of nailed, nailed the Digiwall finally. I made a note of this too. So when Alan asks him if there's a calculator function, did you notice he gets to it in one tap? Yeah. Oh, no. So it's just like, they they coast through that. It's not commented on, but it's the most proficient use of the Digiwall that we've seen from Simon. So he's finally nailed the Digiwall, but what he has done is given British Gas a 99% discount on some premium advertising. It's surrounding, is it surrounding curtains? Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh... Dennis Nilsson Tiling? Yeah, that's it, Dennis Nilsson Tiling. (laughs) And, uh, oh, an SPR Britwork. Did anyone else try the uh, email address for uh, Sandringham Curtains or whatever it, it not is? Not just that, I rang Dennis Nielsen Tiling. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, got, I got, got to bounce back on the email. Uh, I, I, I tried the number for the Britwork company as well, so good. We <laughs> clean sweep We there. really covered it. Uh, but uh, yes, I, I enjoyed Alan's visible panic that, uh, that, that there's obviously a Dennis Nielsen that's notorious uh, as being a serial killer and necrophile. Um, so <laughs> he suddenly thinks it might be the same one. Um, but uh, Dan, Dennis Andrew Nielsen, uh, the Scottish serial killer and necrophile, died in 2018. <coughs> um, I did notice there's a 2018 as part of his phone number as well but i couldn't find any more significance in that so maybe it's just down to coincidence there was a very good uh, itv drama about dennis nielsen with david tennant playing dennis nielsen last year it was very good mm. i love the uh, spr brickwork logo as well it was a perfect example of like a bad tradesman logo that's sort of been <laughs> done by a kind of a very amateur like graphic design company or something they, they really nailed that it's clip art isn't it yeah uh, i did like the line as well um british gas are laughing at you simon <laughs> and then simon just saying finally someone is <laughs> he was quite like i felt like simon not all the time but sometimes can be quite 
quick-witted and almost outsmart Alan uh, a little bit, despite the fact that he's basically been fleeced by British gas. And it's like, yeah, but the, the payoff where Alan says it's a funny joke and they're both like, but it's against myself. <laughs> yeah, so he, yeah, he's yeah. not really triumphed at no, this point. Clearly yeah. there's been some sort of off-air conversation where Alan has sort of tried to get Simon to not just make jokes at his own expense or like they've had a conversation about his self-esteem I think and how it's kind of it's making him a worse broadcaster and so this is like a reference back to that um I also like that Simon is obviously still fucking up on the reg but yeah th- th- there's more complexity to those fuck-ups like to start with it was like he literally just can't work the tech and it's terrible but now it's like the prison survey in in the episode recently and now this it's mm. kind of like it's more of a misunderstanding rather than him just being terrible and incompetent yeah, it's, yeah not, it's, it's not basic operating function. Yeah. It's it's like the nuance of what he's being asked to do. They're both yeah, pretty it's getting bad. The ro- yeah, getting <laughs> the wrong end of the stick, but at the expense of the viewing public who are basically made to endure two people kind of fall out over two minutes. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Okay, so it's time for Alan to rejoin Jenny at the sofa at this point. Now, there's something that happens which is very quick, but I thought was such a brilliant piece of writing here. So Alan, as he's they're kind of teeing up that they're going to do this this kind of Guardian face-off interview where he's been heavily criticised. And as Alan comes to sit down, he says, why am I always getting it in the neck? And then he taps Jenny's like clasped hands that are like in her lap. And I thought if, if you look at how this plays out, it's really subtle, but it's brilliant. She glances down at her hands like two seconds later, like she's processing the inappropriateness of Alan touching her like that, whilst also laughing along, I don't know, in response to him saying, why I'm always getting it in the neck, which I think the implication is she very much does know why. I think if you, if you watch it again and you see how that all plays out, it's very, very clever. Nice. Hmm. That's really great. Um, and then uh, before Dan Milner arrives on the scene, uh, Lynn's here with a very timely bit of information. Um, there's, first, there's another reference to the change in producer. 
um, which was referenced uh, in, in uh, the interview that Alan did with uh, the British Comedy Guide in real life as well recently, this sort of switch, of, switch to a kind of younger-minded producer, uh, that the old producer wouldn't have made Alan face his critics uh, on air like this. Uh, just before Lynn delivers the, the, the bombshell news or the, the, the grenade that Alan can chuck in the interview with Dan in a minute, um, she, she asks him if he wants a hunker. I do quite like the idea that Alan and the, the fact that she's asked that question suggests that they often hunker. And I just love the idea of them often hunkering together. Yeah, it's, it's a thing that they do. Mm, yeah. yeah, And it, to yeah. further kind of bring them closer, she says, and this is a great <laughs> sentence with quite a lot to unpack. These intellectuals have it in for traditional people like us. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot there's a lot there. And there's, the part of it is something that Alan addresses. You know, he thinks that, that she's using traditional as a synonym for white people. But it's more, I think what's, what's even more interesting is that she says like us and she's clearly trying to put her and alan in the same category Mm. 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 i also like how um lynn describes the information that she's given to alan as like a snooker ball in a sock which Mm. suggests that lynn has been watching prison films or like gangster (laughs) films because how else would she know what that is like that that's a weapon and i just love the idea of lynn hunkering down to watch i don't know scum or something like that or full metal jacket yeah i I felt like this is another kind of example of where they're sort of you know loosely prodding uh you know uh, the modern day kind of culture because i noticed this bit where alan basically kneels down and says i can't believe you've made me take uh take the knee for a chat about white people and i was like i assume that's some kind of you know subtle reference to you know it's not that subtle (laughs) well yeah not that subtle but like when i first watched it i didn't really kind of almost clock that and it was like it it sort uh, sort of hit on the second viewing but i thought that that was i just thought it was nice again they have these kind of like subtleties we've woven through the narrative yeah and i i I really really do love the the interactions between Alan and Lynn that we've seen in this series so far. I think they're so beautifully written kind of it's, I think because they're characters that we we've known for so long. So you actually don't need to see a lot of screen time for them together to totally understand what's going on in their relationship and the dynamics of that. I I did wonder Lynn saying uh, people like us, well, sorry, traditional people like us, I assume what she probably means there is more people that are slightly more kind of old school have been in the world of broadcast for longer, you know, not like these young upstart producers from E4. Uh, So it's around this point that there's a very quick cutaway that reveals that Dan Milner is played by Matt Smith. Now, I wondered how wise a move this was. We've obviously had big, big names on Alan Partridge before people like Mini Driver, but they've either been largely pre-fame or in the case of like Monty Don or Emily Maitlis, they've been playing themselves. Did anyone else feel that Matt Smith's appearance as Dan Milner takes us out of the the kind of situation, out of the realism, out of the comedy a little bit? Um, I'm quite glad they saved it to this episode because I sort of felt like I'm not watching Guardian journalist Dan. I'm watching Matt Smith, probably a lifelong fan of Partridge, you know, living, living the dream. Uh, it was fine for me because it took me ages to work out who it was. I was like, I recognise that guy. Who is that guy? I can't work out. Oh, it's Matt Smith. Yeah. I, uh, so it wasn't immediate. I, I completely, I, I, I agree with you, Adam, in the sense that, oh, there might be some potential nerves here about, is this actually going to work? Because, you know, you're not looking at a guy acting a character called Dan Milner. You're looking at, Matt Smith and you it's very difficult to take yourself away from that fact but what I would say is that I think Matt Smith plays this picture perfect like it is he he absolutely nails that kind of smarmy sort of self-satisfied um 
you know, ego driven, you know, of sort of acerbic, not just left um, uh, column writers, but sort of all column writers who, you know, have an ego, have an opinion about something and they're paid for it. I think regardless of the side that he sits on in terms of the political spectrum or where the paper that he writes for sits, I think he nails that kind of um, that character trait that that they were looking for with this role. I think he's really good in it. Yeah, and whilst I would agree with that, and whilst I don't think the interview was as ridiculous, it really reminded me of the sort of Peter Baxendale Thomas from I'm Alan Partridge, that kind of, you know, um, middle class, I guess, like, you know, overly confident. Um, I thought it sort of it, it echoed that sort of um, character and that sort of exchange between Alan. Um, the fact that it's Matt Smith as well just reminded me that I'm pretty sure back in the day there was some talk about the prospect of a chat show where Alan interviews real celebrities. Um, and I, I I always kind of assumed that they didn't do it because of the proximity to the Mrs. Merton show. And obviously Steve had a pretty close relationship over the years with Carolina Hearn. But it did remind me that I think I think that was an idea in the ether or possibly that it even got to a development stage at one point that Alan was going to interview real people. Um, I don't think that it ever would have worked. But this just reminded me of that because there were moments where I felt like I was watching Alan Partridge interview Matt Smith a little bit um <laughs> mm. I didn't think there was tons of humor in the uh, uh interview I will I will kind of say that I don't know what anyone else thought but whilst I thought played well yep liked him as it the actual exchange I didn't think was that funny I think there were a few nice details but they're not kind of like laugh out loud gags so things like talking about the focus group that uh chit chat and banter coming just below more of Jenny I like the idea about the focus group saying more of Jenny is either because it's lecherous viewers or because people genuinely think she's a better presenter and uh two more things that really stuck out we learned that Lynn has given Alan the Guardian articles but with anything that would have offended him has been tip X'd out <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant detail and also maybe laugh the that Alan did a piece on female Olympic swimmers became 10 minutes on him discussing women with big feet that felt exactly like the sort of thing that Alan would end up doing so I think there were good jokes in the script but they weren't kind of too overt, really. Two, li- two little nuggets for me were th- that one about the, the women with big feet. As we know, he said, Alan says he's not happy. With, he wasn't happy with that section. As we know, Alan <laughs> doesn't like big women with big feet. It reminds him of Gammon. And the other thing was Matt Smith saying, uh, now you're doing chit chats about Kit Kats, which is one of the, which is, is said in the, in the walk and talk in the very first episode at the open, yeah. o- in the opening. So it's a nice little callback to that. Um, I also like that Kit Kat line because it, uh, as we were saying before, it does show up the sort of person that Dan is like, he's worked in journalism long enough to know that by saying that, that will be the pull quote. That will be how this interview is reported elsewhere. Um, and he also says that he still thinks the show is lousy, but here he is appearing on it despite having already said, what he wanted to say in the article so it does show him up as someone that's mm. after a bit of notoriety and is basically trying to use this to sort of make a name for himself yeah that's that's a very fair point um i also like the way this progresses at the end that alan they go from the article being 80 percent wrong to 90 percent wrong to 94 percent wrong yeah that, Thought that was a nice little exchange and also the gag about dan ben tom or tim pretending to be ordinary you know about the tim tom ben dan factor dan uh, I thought that was just quite a nice bit of fun wordplay towards the end as well. Oh yeah, and a lovely spot-on thing about Guardian critics basically all thinking they're normal because they've got three letter mm. names and ha- a teenage son and a messy hallway. <laughs> I thought that was really good. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a bit in the interview as well where uh, where Alan's saying, you know, obviously we could do refugees, Syria, landmines, all that stuff, but the viewers care about hand dryers, speed bumps and bigger fines for dog 
after. So a small quiz. What do the people care about? Uh, Google Trends, UK only over the last 12 months. <laughs> Syria versus dog. <laughs> dog is dog. higher. Dog, got to be. It's a dog landslide. Refugees <laughs> versus hand dryers. Refugees. Yeah, refugees. It refugees. is refugees. And finally, speed bumps or landmines. Ooh. Speed bumps. Uh, who's searching I'm going to go landmines who's searching speed bumps I reckon speed bumps the answer is speed bumps yay Uh, (laughs) one more Dan Milner tidbit Um, I I don't know if this is intentional or not but I did a small deep dive he said uh, he used the quote Alexander Pope says a little knowledge is a dangerous thing Um, I quite like this because if this is intentional by the writers it actually shows Dan up a little bit Um, Alexander Pope is claimed to have said that but he's actually misquoted Um, what he actually said was a little learning is a dangerous thing drink deep or taste not the Pyrian spring their shallow drafts intoxicate the brain and drinking largely sobers us again but he was misquoted quoted in a magazine in 1774 and ever since then people have said oh yeah alexander pope said a little knowledge is a dangerous thing so that, that a magazine uh, in 1774 gentlemen and ladies complete magazine volume two wow <laughs> to be specific yeah, the, the difficult second complete magazine um yeah but i quite like that because you know dan obviously is is, is trying to outsmart alan by with a literary reference that isn't accurate that's good. That's really good. And I guess in a way, it's nice to see Alan having a victory at the end of this. I mean, admittedly, he uses the information Lynn's given him, which is quite ruthless, but it's a, it's a solid kill by Alan. Absolutely. And it reminds <laughs> me a lot of, uh, of Coogan's other creation, Tommy Saxondale, which I really enjoy watching, largely because he does get a lot of wins and it's very satisfying to see. So I love it when that happens to Alan as well. Shall we talk about Dan's brother's wife's dad's 400-year-old oak tree? <laughs> <laughs> which is it's blocking alan's view basically i think what's happened here is alan has has used um dan's affair with hermione kent obviously as leverage to make the interview go his way now he's gone mad with power <laughs> and off air he's trying to get him to cut down this oak tree that is like a distant relatives basically because it's blocking alan's view um it's almost like a mafia thing it, they're, they're, they're shrouded in darkness dan's defeated and then uh, and alan's like I think what's going to happen is I think he says I'm going to wake up on Saturday morning and that tree that tree's going to have been cut back. Although it, I did think this was kind of such a specifically weird link. Like, what is it? Brother's wife's dad. Is that right? That the tree belongs to his brother's That's wife's right. dad. I did wonder. You could maybe also interpret. Has Alan actually just made this up as kind of just something? That the journalist thinks he has to go and sort out. Do you know what I mean? I'm not maybe I'm not oh, explaining like it's just right a right, kind of a wind seems, up. Yeah, because it's a bit like he he's had the interview victory. Now it's a bit like right now I'm just going to chuck a bit of an obstacle at him just to give him something to stew over. I don't think so, but I know what you mean. It feels mm. a bit un. It just feels a little bit unnecessary. And like the joke, there's probably an, a more obvious, easier joke to sort of deploy, but yeah it, it feels unnecessarily complex i think for me i'm i'm coming to that just because it seems weird there even is a link even if it's quite quite a loose link between the two of them I was a bit just I a think, bit surprised by that at the end i mean it could just be like to sort of say you know it could be anything couldn't it it could be like you know he he might see himself as one thing and alan sees himself as another but actually they're both from the same world and you know that's good nick i like it yeah, it could be, you know, it's like you're a Guardian journalist, I'm a Times reader, but actually we're both white, middle class and privileged with big with oak, oak trees. Tree in the garden. <laughs> so yeah, it, it could it could be any number of things. But yeah, I do think that could just be another thing of that 
political thing just being delicately woven through. So we're talking political extremes on the sofa. Um, important to note that Simon wraps up this segment with more chat about British gas, so he's clearly not learned that you're not allowed to do <laughs> yeah. the thing that he's doing. No. Um, but there's also a great bit where Alan, Alan starts a rambling thought that it's clear it's going to take ages to finish, and there's some wonderful face acting from Jenny. You see her eyes go dead, basically, once she realises that he's yeah. not going to wrap this up quickly. She's going to be sat there for ages listening to him talk about how he's going to fix the problems in Northern Ireland or in between Palestine and Israel. Yeah, you're totally right. I noticed that essentially as Alan is rambling on, Jenny is smiling, but like you say, dead behind the eyes and just looking straight ahead. And you can, you can almost see her thought bubble, which is just like, stop talking, you idiot. Yep, totally. Um, and then uh, Simon uh, chips in and Alan doesn't like this. So he basically puts Simon on the spot and, and Simon performs very admirably, I thought, makes a very succinct point, mm. gets a round of applause from the audience. Um, and I thought, could this be setting the scene for Simon to steal some of Alan's limelight? And wouldn't it be classic that it was Alan that created the opportunity by putting him on the spot? <laughs> Which then led me to think, a question, question uh, yeah. to the group, could a Tim as Simon, Susanna as Jenny helmed version of this time work in real life? Not saying that it would be better than a partridge vehicle, but would you watch and enjoy it? Could Alan be written out in real life as he fears being written out in the APU? Possibly. I mean, I think there was a... Um... There was a moment in the first series where psychic Simon has to step up and do a bit of presenting and does a very good job of it. So I think there is an argument to say that Simon, with a bit more experience, could be you know, a very competent TV presenter. But obviously, Alan's never going to give him that chance. It would have to become. It would have. The only way it would happen is if someone else made it happen. Basically, Alan would never give Simon enough opportunity to upstage him because he probably would. For example, a producer that's just come over from E4. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we we've definitely got to know the characters of both Simon and Jenny more to the fact where I think it could work. But their best moments are probably when they're reacting to what Alan's doing. So that's kind of the kind of glue that holds it together mm. that you, you might end up missing. Because, you know, I think the subtlety in the way Simon or Jenny react to Alan's kind of errors and idiocy are often some of their best, best moments, I think. Um, shall we move on to Tiff's landlord problems? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yes, uh, Tiff the makeup lady has got uh, some issues that she'd like Alan to help her sort out. She needs a, a big burly man and Alan apparently fits the bill until he finds out the details of what's actually going to be expected of him and then suddenly it's the citizens advice bureau uh it's their problem to deal with what, i'm still wondering what her game is like what is what does she actually want him to go and help him out is she trying to get money for him from him like what is the what is the game here tiff what is the game she also said her landlord lost an eye in prison so he's really hard to reason with that doesn't actually make sense does it like i know that i know that the, the, the summer you know the summary feeling you get from that sentence is that He's not a person you want to mess with. But losing an eye in prison doesn't indicate that you're really hard to reason with, or does it? I suppose it means it, <laughs> he came to blows, but yeah, it was a bit odd, I thought. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. Basically, the, the bottom line is don't, don't mess with him, and Alan is keen to not get involved at this point. <laughs> Just divert it away to the uh, Citizens Advice Bureau. 
Exactly. Uh, thankfully, Lynn's here with, uh, well, what seems like better news. Uh, the list of BBC presenters' salaries is uh, about to be published. Um, so Alan is getting 50 copies ordered to send, to send to a mailing list of people he wants to impress. And a lovely touch, I thought, was that Lynn will fold them at the spine so it falls open on how much yeah. he earns. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> so He's obviously discuss- proud of this fact. He must be, he must be on a decent wedge. <laughs> Six-figure salary. Mm-hmm. So can we discuss the list as they refer to it? I was wondering, I thought perhaps that list is essentially the people that he goes around telling he's big in the back time in Nomad. I mean, it could be be so many people, let's be honest. The list potential is very long. But we know we know there we know there are fifty people on it. I'd imagine they're all people broadly affiliated with media and broadcasting. So is it the kind of Delia Smiths and yeah. uh, Julia Bradbury's of this yeah, world. You've got, or, you've got to believe a Big Ames on that list, haven't you? Oh, <laughs> Big Ames is definitely on that yeah. list. Or is it Neil Buchanan and uh, Michaela Strachan? <laughs> Hopefully, still in the same commune. <laughs> uh, I can't. Who else does he go to? Um, uh, he goes to uh, Trisha's. For, he goes yeah, to Trisha Goddard's and uh, Jamie oh, Thigston. Jamie Thigston. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'd be curious to see that list, but um, who knows? Maybe maybe Simon Mayo's on it. Carrie Wilmot. <laughs> Doesn't he hate Simon Mayo, though? Yes. But that yeah, can still work, because it's exactly. rubbing in people's faces, isn't it? Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's time to tee up uh, Alan's visit to the SAS, isn't it? Um, had, <laughs> had you heard anyone refer to the SAS as the SAS before? I mean, I know that's the joke, but... <laughs> No, right. <laughs> no. I think I think it's the. It, it's, I mean, yeah, this is the joke. But like, Alan would sort of see himself as someone that's kind of close to uh, having a good understanding of the SAS because you know he's read Bravo Two Zero. Yeah, he's calling it the SAS. <laughs> um, so yes, we're, we're we're on location and we're heading over to the bang oof smack and twat of men thumping each other. Um, <laughs> I thought his cadence was spot on. It was. It's such a good impression of the kind of like ant middletons of this world where they're sort of they're saying like hard man things but almost like they're bored of having to repeat it ditherers need not apply yeah. this is where the nonsense yeah. stops like yeah i just thought it was very well well played <laughs> i put in my notes uh for the line when he says this is the sas he's gone full clarkson at that point did anyone else pick up on the um intonation as well around uh who dares wins where he says who dares wins and he just goes up at the end. I don't know if anyone clocked that, but it's so good. It's one of those like really subtle things. Where like it's just very throwaway, but the way it's delivered is really good. <laughs> and then also, yeah, falls over at the end of that yeah, scene that's as well. So good. Yes, it's brilliant. <laughs> that always gets a laugh from me. That's yeah. what I was yeah. going to say. That made me laugh so much. And it's like you could, you could quite easily miss that if you're not really paying attention. Yeah. But I thought that was brilliant because it's just kind of like it's as he's walking out of frame, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's it so the, good. The theory I, I have there as well is that it's possible that he thought that that would be cut out, but. I I like to imagine that what you've got mm. by, by this stage in the game is a vindictive crew whose names he hasn't bothered to learn <laughs> and so they're just starting to leave in these embarrassing moments in the VT just just to spite him. So we're introduced to Tommy. I mean, if you weren't taken out of the realism of this by uh, Matt Smith mm. surely you are by seeing Stephen Cresswell repurposed as, as an SAS officer. <laughs> Cresswell. And, yeah, yet and, uh, and Tommy well, he played a similar character in, uh, in Mid-Morning Matters. He played an SAS mm. or terrorist. Terrorist. I'd actually only really clocked this properly doing the notes for this, but it's not just Mid-Morning Matters and Alpha Papa. He's obviously also in I'm Alan Partridge. He is at the Norfolk Bravery Awards as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is quite an interesting choice <laughs> when so many people they seem to have as returning characters, for example, Rosie Witter. It's quite interesting where for some actors, 
you can only assume Coogan, the Gibbons, other people on the team like working with Nigel mm. Lindsay and want to get him involved. But the fact they haven't given him a recurring kind of permanent character is quite mm. interesting. Uh, yeah. The lamest gag of this section I still quite enjoyed when he just went, Tommy, guns. <laughs> no, yeah, I love that. <laughs> very silly, but I liked it. Um, and also a wild tangent, but Tommy's obviously very stern about the idea of the SAS shooting goats. Alan keeps bringing it up as a possibility. It must happen. And he's like, no, we don't shoot goats. Now, this might be a stretch, but I did wonder if that was a reference to the John Ronson book, The Men Who Stare at Goats, which is basically yes, the yeah. non-fiction book about the US Army and how they apparently explored New Age concepts. And the title refers to them attempting to kill goats by staring at them and stopping their hearts. Now, I just wondered if there's if Tommy Foley's trying to get rid of the whiff of any sort of New Age kind of weird stuff going on in the SAS. I don't think it's about New Age weird stuff. I think if you go to some countries that are slightly, should we say, less ethical, I'm pretty sure you can kind of go on firing ranges and animals could be involved for 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 the right price. I'm not going to sleep tonight now <laughs> thinking right, about that. You don't that. have to do it. <laughs> um, I love that uh, Alan tries to make himself look smart by recommending using night vision until he's told that the mission is happening at 1,300 hours. <laughs> 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 yeah and if you if you weren't um convinced that alan doesn't really know what he's talking about when you're replicating a shooting stance from a bond film you know you're in trouble <laughs> yeah and when you have to justify your own actions by going i've got the rear i've got the rear and then adding voiceover yeah. goes, special forces experts agree it's important to guard the rear <laughs> see for me that that joke uh, that just didn't seem worth it like just that i just don't think that was a great gag and and i think to be honest this is one of the sequences that I think I I enjoyed least in this episode because it does feel like I'm, a lot of the payoffs just aren't that great. Like particularly when you get to the uh, you get to the tar- when he's shooting at the targets, you can see what's going to happen with that from a mile off. The fact yeah. that he shoot shoots all the hostages and doesn't doesn't shoot the terrorists, etc. It's like you, the the moment the exercise started, you knew that was going to be the outcome. So I just feel like. Some of this is good, and some of it just felt a bit wasted. Also, admittedly, he shoots the wrong people, and he does have the wide leg stance, but everything before that I felt was too slick for Alan. The way he kind of moved into the room and was doing sort of like the manoeuvres and, you know, the way he shot his gun, it all seemed a bit too slick for Alan. But, I mean, ultimately, he did shoot the uh, the, the civilians but um, and have the long wide leg stance. In fact, even at the briefing before the exercise, when he's all kind of like in like wearing like the exercise kit and stuff that that just reminded me of alpha papa when he's kind of getting mm, ready to go in on, yeah. back in on the siege it, mm. like, it really feels like that um yeah, yeah i kind of i kind of agree i i, I would it, it's got some it's got some moments in it i mean you know when he's like do you, know, do you know any muslims that wear turbans and alan just says sinbad the sailor like i was just i just found that so odd um in- in fact, to, to give them credit, I thought that was a very good twist on the targets gag, however, that actually that he's correcting when well, yes. it's an Islamist terrorist cell, this yes. guy's a Sikh. That was good, yeah. but I think the joke about killing the hostages and leaving terrorists unharmed was too obvious. So it, 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 it got better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's time to get busy with fizzy. Um, it's drinks tasting time. Uh, well, firstly, let's say Alan also uh, subject to a mock interrogation and execution that he doesn't want to talk about. Yeah. Um, I quite like his. It got real. It got real. Yeah, I, I quite quick. like his. His honest. He is a bit more honest these days. I think he would have tried to cover that over, but this time, when when he's pressed on it, he's like, "Yeah, I just found it really upsetting." 
which I thought was kind of I like I <laughs> yeah. like this this late late stage honesty coming in. Um, the way he introduces this is great. Another Kirsty Allsop dig. I love to see them. Fizz bub- bubbly bolly champers <laughs> might sound like the nicknames of Kirsty Allsop's bridesmaids, but actually blah 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 blah. Um, <laughs> And there's an interesting point here from Jenny. You might notice they filmed this in December, I think I think we know. Um, she says, with party season in full swing as, as part of the introduction of this cocktail tasting, which makes me think that we're, we're supposed mm. to believe that this series is going out in December as well. Which means we could get that Christmas episode. I also noticed Alan and Jenny walk over to the cocktail area in unison here. Jenny doesn't break eye contact with the camera at all. Genuinely quite impressive bit, bit of a presenting skill there, I thought. Hmm. So it's our second returning APU character in consecutive weeks. Yeah, I, I, oh, yes. I'm, sort of, I'm sort of hoping this becomes a regular feature. Again, this does feel a little bit like a rehash in the sense that we've already seen Alan do mm. booze tasting on, um, on Mid-Morning Matters. Obviously switching it up from wine to, to, to cocktails. And again, Tom, to your point of we could see where it was going in the last section it does kind of feel like you can see as soon as you see alan reach for the first cocktail you cut and, mm. and effectively smash it you can tell that or, or sorry you ha- you have a good idea of the way this is going to go in terms of how it's going to end yeah and I, I think this is another section where i felt a bit disappointed but i would say on, on a plus point i think having joe beasley and cheeky monkey last week and rosie back this week i do love the way they're they're kind of connecting the APU together and that feels quite rewarding for the more yes, devoted yeah, fans because a lot of people watching this won't know who Rosie is and even though they reference that Alan has interviewed her before you know a lot of people won't necessarily know that so I think that's a nice little bonus um, I like as well that it continues a theme of uh, <clears> well <throat> from in, in terms of Joe Beasley from 20 odd years ago but that Alan could have they could have found a pro they could have found a you know a Jilly Goulden type professional wine critic but you very much get the impression that alan is inviting on people that he knows and that's how joe beasley got on knowing me knowing you that's how rosie witter comes on here like she's not very comfortable she seems very nervous which i thought Mm, in brackets mm. could be the side effect of alcoholism but also she's just (laughs) she's not suited to tv she you know she's graduated from radio much like psychic simon she's somebody that he's brought along that perhaps isn't the best person for the job Mm. and i quite like that that, that was sort of the point, well, you've sort of answered the question I was about to pose, which was really, I I didn't quite understand why Rosie was coming back, because I, I don't particularly see her as a, as a strong character, um, and certainly not strong enough to, you know, warrant a repeat, but I think that that explanation almost justifies why you might bring her back, because it's someone that fans will know, someone that is, you know, from regional radio and actually doesn't really have the chops for national TV and therein could lie some of the humour. But I think to what Tom was saying, I did expect a, a little bit more from, from the scene because not not loads happens and what does happen is kind of like, yeah, that's good. And, you know, that's fine. But I think overall the kind of, it, there's no real payoff to, to this uh, scene. Um, so... Rosie says that she thinks people who don't like cocktails just haven't found the right one. Alan counters with it being more to do with the fact they have to wait 20 minutes and when you see a barman reach for a pestle and mortar, you think, <laughs> I should have just had a pint. Who's right? 
Alan. 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 <laughs> I think Alan's right too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do love a cocktail, but I love ordering one in an empty-ish bar and uh, when it's table not service. Not having to wait. Yeah. 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 Um, I like that Jenny sort of foreshadows the episode's end by saying, oh, if I have a few of these, I'll be dozing off on the sofa. Um, yeah. Whereas yes. Alan prefers to imagine her throwing shapes on the dance floor, laughing at things you'd normally find offensive, smoking fags and pinching bums. Uh, and I think you can tell from what happens next that he's imagining that a few drinks would give him a chance with her uh, and is absolutely visibly disgusted when Rosie throws her hat in the ring too as being <laughs> of a similar type well I was going to say I, I did wonder I, and I think your interpretation is right that this is imagined but whether Alan and Jenny had had any kind of night out on the tiles together in the past I don't think so but I would love to see it some kind of like behind the scenes uh, post show team drinks would be quite a fun extension in an episode perhaps um and he's so offended at this idea that like Rosie and Jenny are of a type that he's talking about. He goes really goes out of his way to sort of remove Rosie from this pool of sozzled, glamorous women that he's imagining <laughs> by starting to talk about the fact that she's got a top from M&S and that they've really, uh, M&S really have sprinkled some glamour over middle age. And she is <laughs> horrified. Rosie is so horrified. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I love the bit where um, Alan says that he can smell stuffing, and then Lynn appears. I don't think that's what the joke is, but fine. <laughs> I don't think that's implying that Lynn smells of stuffing. That's because he's just drank the cocktail that has rosemary in it. Oh, I don't know. I think I think look back on that because you see him with his back to Lynn. And he's oh, okay. like, it smells. Okay. It smells. It smells of stuffing. He's he is sort of supposedly smelling the drink, but I think it's like you know. But the, the drink the does jo- have rosemary in it, which you would put in stuffing. Mm, true. Yeah, yeah. I think the joke is he's saying it smells of stuffing, it's and, then he and then he immediately turns to Lynn and says, like, "Oh, it's you. It's like <laughs> Lynn smells of stuffing." <laughs> before, before we move on to the conversation he has with Lynn. The other bit I really enjoyed in this section, primarily because it reminded me of another gag in the APU, um, when he says to Rosie, did you have a drink before you came on? And he says that in quite a kind of unimpressed tone. But it reminded me, is it in iPartridge that we find out Alan forced Simon to drink before broadcasting? I think the, the quote was, he didn't want to start drinking when it wasn't even 10 o'clock. I was absolutely furious. It was so unprofessional. So I, yeah. ju- I just really enjoyed, like, it's just a nice little <laughs> reference to something else. Yeah. Um, and then, as you've seen in the first trailer for this series, he goes absolutely mad about the long-established practice of using egg whites in some cocktails, uh, demanding that the audience be egg-safe. Um, I also noticed by the time we get to the third cocktail, no one's handing them to Alan anymore. He's having to reach reach right across, <laughs> which makes for quite bad telly, to get his own. He's basically been shut out for being a bad cocktail critic and saying that they taste like fizzy soup. So is it time to talk about... Uh lynn's earnings intel um yes but just briefly before then uh they have a quick quiz about what the, what's the uk's most popular cocktail rosie says espresso martini alan's mind's gone blank but he has a stab with shandy and i thought i thought surely they're both miles off um but i searched and actually the google trends uh no no just uh, just a big oh. old study um but uh it is a mojito which is what jenny confirms at the end but if you're in belfast it is an espresso martini I would say that, well, this is my own personal opinion. I would say that the mojito is the most overrated cocktail. I'd agree. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Well, actually, by by, by the fact that it is the most popular and I don't really rate it, that by definition does make it uh, <laughs> overrated. But um, I'm glad you all agree. So actually, a quick question to the group. What are your top three cocktails? Uh, Nick, let's start with you. I would say it's old-fashioned espresso martini Negroni. 
Adam? Uh, old-fashioned, dark and stormy, Lynchburg lemonade. And Tom Dark? I'm going to go whiskey sour, gimlet, and a Negroski, which is a variation on a Negroni. What you make- switch the gin for vodka. Ah, nice. Uh, I would also go for an old-fashioned. I would also go for an espresso martini, and I would go for a margarita as my third choice. Oh, lovely mugs. Ooh. Nice. God, I could smash one of those right now. Yeah. <laughs> Get through this recording. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and Je- that post-recording treat. And Jenny could smash about twenty-five more of them than Alan. It turns out because she earns slightly more than him. Lynn reveals uh, it's two hundred pounds more due to an accounting quirk, but it means she's higher than him in the BBC earnings list. Um, Alan is so fine with this that he says, "Okay, nine times." <laughs> um, and uh, I like this a lot because I mean it doesn't I don't think it reflects reality because if you actually look at the uh, the way the BBC put this earnings list out people are put into categories so h- him and Jenny would be in the same category uh, this wouldn't actually happen in real life but in the APU yeah this means she's nudged slightly ahead of him in the list did anyone else think that the twist was going to be that it was going to be a lot more than Alan? I thought it was going to be a lot more but actually I think the humour comes in the fact that it's such a small amount and he's pissed off about it yeah yeah, yeah. I, 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 I i liked that that's the route they went I, with I, there's um, also a spot later in this episode that that calls back to this 200 pound difference that i think is noteworthy but we'll come on to it i just want to talk a little bit about how lynn reacts to alan here so after he said okay about nine times she's saying you want more but you don't want to complain because women have got a bit too big for their <laughs> boots at the moment and he cuts her off says that's for the car it's so I good this tiny little scene, like I, like I said earlier, it just says so much about their relationship, the power dynamics between them, their kind of shared views on society. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Like, it just gives you a little insight into the sort of conversations they have when no one else is around. I thought that yeah. was great. Un- unfiltered conversations for the yeah. car. Uh, yeah. and, and as it's for the car, are we still to believe that she still has to drive him home after the show? Or do we think the BBC <laughs> puts on a car for both of them because she has to live nearby? Another spot I had is that bearing in mind his opinion about raw egg and his his uh, health warning just then, he then gives Lynn the drink with the raw egg in it. Um, yes, presumably yeah, exactly. as, as an act of cruelty. But the joke's on him. It's yeah. a lovely fizzy treat, and she's probably driving him home. <laughs> yeah. no, but doesn't, doesn't he say you, you like egg, don't you, or something like that when he gives yeah, it to her? He does. Yeah, I think he does. they put that line in to, to make sure that we, as the viewers, noticed that he was giving her a drink that yeah. he thinks is, yeah, is dangerous. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when he gives her the drink, I was hoping we might get a little peek of, of a slightly sozzled Lynn at some point before the episode ends. Unfortunately not, but I think that would have been quite fun. Just, just, a, just a slightly sozzled Alan. <laughs> yes. Um, I really enjoyed the awkwardness of Rosie's cocktail shaking and how long it went on for. Very, very creepy. <laughs> I did as well. Um, and also that Alan basically alludes to not having the confidence to do anything like cocktail shaking or playing the maracas. Basically, I think the joke here is anything that looks like wanking, right? <laughs> yes i think so you have to have a certain confidence yeah although he's confident enough to try and open the shaker uh, which is another great bit yeah. of face acting from coogan that sort of child's cry when he manages it i really enjoyed and then obviously he pours it all away by accident <laughs> I, I was gonna say actually the the noise that he makes when, yeah. when when he's trying to open is so amazing i think we should we should drop it in now because this is worth a re-listen just a beautiful sound yeah, that, that is I'm, great that is i'm fantastic. thinking about making that my notification and ringtone for everything 
Uh, he's now visibly drunk and apologises for, and I quote, bollocking Rosie earlier about the egg, but then does also say, don't do that again. So this is, to be honest, this is really where the episode lost me. Like, I just feel, even though I know they've signposted it in the script earlier with Jenny saying things like, oh, I'll be asleep. I just feel like it's too sudden, out of nowhere, he's he's drunk and half falling asleep. It just... This bit just didn't gel for me at all because it just was so kind of out of the realms of reality. And obviously, I know this isn't a documentary and there's lots of slapstick and silly things that do happen in this show and in this world. But for me, it just didn't just didn't quite tie up properly. Whilst I do agree to a certain extent, Alan does have history of getting very drunk very quickly, not being able to handle his booze. Um, obviously in the first series of I'm Alan Partridge with mm. the Lady Boys. Yeah. So, you know, he does have history of not being a very good drinker, but I do understand your point. But then also, you know, it's cocktails, something he's not used to, might be a little bit stronger, but also his his drunken demeanour isn't particularly hilarious. He just gets a bit ratty, gets a bit tired, falls asleep, and then starts talking well, about Grandad Graham again, which that's is... That's the thing. I think for odd, me, the but, fact that... The the main reaction is he gets he gets visibly drunk and then falls asleep. It's just like that. Just I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Yeah, it's not the best of endings, is it? I think I think I'd uh, I'd agree. I mean, some some of the some of the script is great though. Like so, the the Oast House reference that um, I teased at the beginning of this episode. So they talk about um, a viewer has got in touch saying. Uh, a viewer's got in touch saying, please refrain from using winning formula. It's the registered title of a one-man show about the development of WD-40. Uh, now, in the Oast yes. House, they talk about WD-40. Yeah. So I can only assume that um, Steve and the Gibbons brothers were writing uh, these episodes at the same time as the Oast House and just had WD-40 on the mind. <laughs> um, there's a gag, I can't decide if it's good or not, where Simon's talking about alternative names for the Lewis Hamilton musical. and says, you could just call it Car Man. And then Alan goes, that's an opera <laughs> referring to Carmen I quite like that 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 is good Um, and then Simon uh, says to Jenny uh, about Jenny that's why they pay her the big bucks now I think her reaction to this little section where Alan is fine with her earning £200 more indicates that she already knows she's on more money and therefore I think she's asked for it specifically Um, I don't think it is an accounting quirk like Lynn said I think Jenny insisted on being paid just a little bit more and I wondered if that was part of the settlement after the first series of this time to allow him to stay um she seemed she seems not at all surprised at the fact that she earns more than alan and i think she already knew and i think she maybe even asked for it Mm. so it's kind of a contractual thing where she has to get paid more than alan even if it's like a pound more just so that there is that difference i think so just because she knows it would annoy him um I also thought there's another great uh, thing that's happened before in the APU where Alan is quite dismissive of uh, the fact that Simon's adopted. Um, so they talk about the fact that <laughs> Simon, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he starts trying to trying to argue for Simon to be paid more, and and he's he's outraged that the BBC wouldn't give Simon the day off for his granddad's funeral. But then he finds out it was just his adopted funeral, a uh, granddad, and he's kind of like, oh well. Hmm sort of on the fence about it after that and then yeah a final reference to old granddad graham and we're out that's it there we go that's 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 it that's the show that's your lot uh so yeah i mean i enjoyed it hugely opinions differ across the crew but um yeah i don't know i think a lot of fun yeah there's a there's a lot of very good stuff in here i mean i, I mean i think you know having done 
a series and three episodes of covering this time. There's pretty much something in every episode that is really, really great and something that might be a little bit weaker. I think to have, you know, sustained highs throughout an entire episode of 30 minutes, which is what these episodes are roughly, is is very difficult to achieve. But yeah, I think the first three episodes of this series have been really, really strong. And I don't remember, I think I... I remember correctly that there was quite a bit of disagreement between us about how what we thought about the the episodes in the last series. Whereas I don't think there has been very much so far. It's all been sort of until today. Well, it, even then, it's still it's it, there's broad agreement that these are good. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Another thing I've just noticed is that I believe this is the first ever episode of this time not to feature Ruth Duggan. Um, I think there's 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 zero Ruth content, and so hey. potentially she's not mm. uh, she's not recurring to the point that she's in every character. Well, I'll, I'll give you my concluding thoughts and, and and my reasons for it. So for me, this is my least favorite of the series so far, but that is for two main reasons. I felt the SAS VT section that felt predictable, and even though we haven't seen it before, it kind of felt like we already had. And for me, the Rosie Witter section felt weak. But that's mainly because Alan becoming drunk and tired just felt like it came out of nowhere. So I think there were just two quite large sections where I felt like the payoffs weren't worth it. And that's what made it a letdown for me. Uh, We're halfway through this series now and we haven't had a real life person in it, have we? Obviously, in the last series, we had Monty Don uh, make an appearance. We're halfway through and we haven't had a real life uh, figure from the actual real world appear as themselves in the mm. show yet. I wonder if we're going to have that before the series ends. I wonder if it's something that they tried and felt that it didn't quite work. Um, I mean, I guess it's not exactly the same as Matt Smith playing a character um, and it's not exactly the same as that mooted chat show idea I mentioned with Alan talking to real celebrities, but it does feel a little bit like Alan is funnier in a kind of... S- slightly fictionalized world and i do wonder if the gravity of a monty donner and emily make this in mm. in the scene and the fact that they have to be kind of quite true to their real life personas mm. means it doesn't it doesn't quite work as well it would almost be better if they were sort of you know lightly fictionalized the trip style versions of themselves where monty don is corrupt as fuck where emily make <laughs> you know where emily make i don't know yeah is is like slightly more ruthless um perhaps that would be better yeah, I, you know, I, I think you're right. I think if they were going to continue essentially cameos of real life people, I think we would have seen it by now. So I think uh, to, to throw a predictor partridge in mid-series, I think we're not going to see a real life cameo mm. in, in this in this series. Uh, any final thoughts on episode three? Come on, Nick. What you got Summon for Summon up us? in a noise. Uh... and that's all we've got time for Uh, so we'd love to know what you thought of episode 3 series 2 of this time with Alan Partridge Uh, you can email us thepartridgepod at gmail.com facebook.com slash thepartridgepod twitter at thepartridgepod instagram at monkeytennispod the monkey tennis hotline is 0793 600 Uh, you can shout us a coffee or an equivalent donation to ko-fi.com slash monkeytennis and if you'd like to give me the night off from reading out all of this contact information as I have done (laughs) twice an episode for over 100 episodes why not leave us a voice note on the monkey tennis hotline with you doing it yourself and then i can just kick back and relax uh get a nice hot cup of horlicks um we'll be back next week covering episode four um but until then from all of us at monkey tennis the alan partridge fan podcast thanks so much for listening and goodbye granddad it's that time what time high time to say if you've got time to give this time your time then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time on this time monkey tennis please please Cook your eggs. Be safe.
the egg safe. Monkey tennis? Well, have a glass of water, please? It falls to me to say he is gone. Monkey tennis? I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay for dinner, yeah? Monkey tennis? I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shaved boy in a wig. Monkey tennis? There is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things... To all men. And all women. And everything in between. Monkey tennis? There's a shuttlecock up there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.